0: You're listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing questions. Attorney Bill Powers sits down with some of today's leading legal minds to discuss everything from legal issues and legislation to practice tips and policy. Now, here's your host, Bill Powers, former president of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice, recipient of the North Carolina State Bar John B. McMillan Distinguished Service Award, and a founding member of the Center for Legal Education and Advocacy.
1: Hello, I'm Bill Powers, and I am joined today with Caroline Wingate-Strauss. Good morning, Caroline.
0: Good
2: morning. How are you? I'm well.
1: Uh, Occasionally in our uh, podcast, we like to review interesting cases that may uh, have some uh, instructive value. It could be for attorneys. It could be for people who are interested in the law. And it's meant to be very general in nature. And I will also admonish people politely to say that if you have specific questions about your case and the applicability to your matter, you should speak with um, an attorney who uh, understands and works in these areas of law. I'll also hasten to add that this particular case is not a matter in which we have been involved in any way. And we, as lawyers, oftentimes will refer to a matter by the last name of of the litigants. In divorce cases, and family law cases, we oftentimes will just use the One last name, Wadsworth, or sometimes in a criminal case, you may hear referred to as state versus whatever. So, today, which is December 21st, 2021, it's one of the last cases we'll probably see this year. The North Carolina Court of Appeals came out with an opinion known as Wadsworth v. Wadsworth. As I recall, it's a Jackson, or excuse me, Johnson County District Court family law matter. Johnson County is in the um, kind of central eastern part of the state. Uh, just outside of where I went law school, um, Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. And uh, the site for anyone that's uh, interested has not been formally done yet, but it's a uh, number COA, which is court of appeals, 21 68. And it's uh, 2021 NCCOA 703. And it was filed uh 21st day of December, 2021. And it is in a published opinion by uh, judge Jackson on North Carolina court of appeals. So, um, Caroline, this is an interesting case, at least I think it's interesting because it, it touches on several different areas, things we look at regarding what the standards of review are, uh, how uh, child support is calculated in North Carolina, what may be included in child support in North Carolina uh, does have an aspect of uh, alimony and, uh, and what the court may or may not order. It also touches on legal fees for equal distribution. And interestingly enough, it has a somewhat uh, interesting fact pattern that I feel It's probably appropriate to um, uh, talk about that a little bit and whether or not fact patterns and and what people may or may not have done on a personal level uh, would adversely affect them with the court. So let's start with that. Um, (laughs) This is an interesting fact pattern. We don't get too much into detail, but this is someone who was sued uh, in court, for lack of a better term, we call it a suit. It's a complaint. Uh, The plaintiff, the wife in the case, uh, brought an action against her husband uh, for a series of different things, but most notably that while he had a child from a previous relationship and had some, uh, children in that relationship, he had an extramarital affair that ultimately resulted in three additional children. And, um, Caroline, what are your thoughts regarding whether that should or actually does affect a ruling in a court from a standpoint of picking winners and losers?
2: Um, well, it, my standpoint is that the only time it really comes into play is um, in the determination of alimony, Mm -hmm. right? So in alimony cases, um, the court needs to find that there's a dependent spouse and a supporting spouse. And alimony is the only time that a court really considers any marital misconduct of either of the parties. Specifically, it's um, they, uh, if a dependent spouse, meaning the person that's dependent on the other spouse um, for maintenance and care, has an extramarital affair, then the court shall not grant al- alimony. If the supporting spouse has an extramarital affair, in this case, um, that would be accurate as, um, as the facts in this case show, um, then the court must grant alimony to the dependent spouse. If both parties have an affair, then the playing fields are kind of evened out.
1: Right. And something to point out as far as picking winners and losers, I think sometimes clients are worried about the optics of things like the judge will not like me, which I understand that's human nature. And while the behavior may result in the court ordering certain things, for example, alimony, or if you have other children outside of the marriage, you may be subject to paying child support for those children. It's not like uh, the judges rap people on the knuckles for being a bad spouse. And sometimes I, I tell our, our clients um, the court, the court system, most most uh, notably, is not really the um, arbiter of what's fair or unfair or. Um, uh, choosing a side, you know, you're a bad person, good person. It, it comes down, it's, it's much more nuanced and it comes down to financial aspects. Now, the law does allow for um, certain, um, I guess what you'd call a negative ruling. If you if you are seeking alimony and you've been unfaithful in the marriage and there's not some other thing going on like a forgiveness or an, an acceptance by the other spouse, uh, you may be, maybe. It's complicated area of law. I always like to say that you may be precluded from getting alimony. That would not necessarily, though, affect receiving your fair share of the marital estate through.
2: Through equitable distribution. Right. That's correct. Um, right. And I like to tell clients that the dissolution of the marital estate or dividing up everybody's property is more like a business transaction. Right. We're looking at the net profit or the net loss of um, of the marriage. Right. Right. Um, and all emotions and reasons for the downfall of marriage are generally taken out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and the court just looks at the numbers.
1: Yeah, and that's, that can be tough to do. Admittedly, it can be tough to do as someone who's breaking up in a relationship and you don't see it as just a business trip or a business transaction. But the courts do. And the sooner you can take the, the emotion out, easier said than done, uh, frankly, the better. Because people sometimes will try to inflict pain or um, um, try to justify their desire for additional assets based on what someone did wrong as opposed to what under the law is applied. Now let's, let's move into um, the second part of the point here is um, how is child support calculated in North Carolina? And this case actually has two different um, issues uh, regarding ordinary child support and then something what we'd call extra or the additional or extraordinary child support. And um, the Court of Appeals in this particular case, and if for practitioners, anyone who reads, or if you're a law student, interesting, um, the Court of Appeals doesn't just willy-nilly reverse the trial judge. Um, and unlike many other civil matters in North Carolina, these are not determined by a jury. And so um, uh, the, the opinion, um, which I'm flipping through it, uh, the, the important language is that um, It is well established that child support orders entered by a trial court um, are um, accorded substantial deference by the appellate court. What that means is the person who's wearing the black robe in the courtroom, the the district court judge in North Carolina, is given a lot of discretion, and the Court of Appeals um, understands that. And And you may want to, from a policy perspective, which this podcast is all about, um, is based on, and this is the language, uh, upon the trial court's opportunity to see the parties, to hear the witnesses, to detect tenors, tones, and flavors uh, that are lost in the bare printed record read months later by the appellate judges. Um, I once had um, uh, Judge uh, Lucy Inman on the podcast, and she referred to it as the cold record, which it is. You're looking at a piece of paper. And a district court judge, I call it the person has their boots on the ground, she or he is able to discern uh, the credibility to witnesses, and, and therefore, the veracity. So, the Court of Appeals, in this opinion, once again, pretty standard fare, says, our review is thus limited to whether there is sufficient competent evidence to support the findings of fact and whether, based on these findings, the court properly computed a child support allegations. Accordingly, should we conclude that there is substantial evidence in the record to support a trial court's findings of fact such findings are conclusive on appeal. We say they're deemed binding, even if the record evidence might sustain findings to the contrary. So what that basically means is even if we disagreed with the decision that the individual trial court came up with, we're going to accord a deference and we're not going to just reverse it because we think they got the answer wrong. Uh, So that's an important aspect of these cases. And sometimes as attorneys, we read them, we go, that doesn't make any sense, not coming at the court or anything. We just don't understand factually. So with that overlay, let's talk a little bit about the big picture child support issues, because this is one when you read it factually, you may say, gosh, I don't know if I necessarily agree or understand that. And the court of appeals is saying, hey, there was enough evidence, we're going to defer to them. So talk about that a little bit, um, Caroline.
2: You want me to talk about um, what the defendant is taking issue with in these?
1: Right. Or, so, you know, we don't have to go too, too, too in depth. I mean, but big picture, uh, there were some, um, there's one with child support regarding um the, the expenses associated with right. child, there's daycare, and they used uh, the summertime value. And, you know, t- you know, go into that a little bit. What are, what are the kind yeah. of considerations you look at when you see these things?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, so child support can, is generally determined by the North Carolina child support guidelines. Mm-hmm. And I like to tell people it's, um, you can go online and find a calculator. Right. Um, and it's a pretty standard, standard formula. Um, and within that formula, certain things are taken into consideration, one being childcare expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, the court can also take into consideration extraordinary expenses. So expenses such as, uh, well, the statute says travel to and from um, pursuant to custody and,
1: let I me. Mean, yeah, and this one, uh, they actually, one of the children involved was in uh, pageants. Yep. As I recall, um, I guess Zoom, beauty pageants, talent pageants, um, one was like in a baseball team, a traveling soccer team, something like that, and travel back and forth, which, I, you know, I'm a parent of one. We did a lot of travel team stuff. Right. that gets expensive. Um, and by the way, we have a child support guideline uh, calculator on our Carolina Attorney's website, which is technically separate from Law Talk, but uh, Carolina, excuse me, I misspoke, Charlotte dash divorce dash lawyers website. We have a separate website for family law issues. We have a child support calculator. That's meant as a, as a rough estimate. So first the child support, the most important things you talked about is there is there it's in the books, you know, whether you actually grab a book or look online, there, there's some basics of how child support is calculated. And it comes down to literally just getting a calculator out. So let's talk about like the ordinary and extraordinary expenses in this case. and, 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 what deference in this case the, the court may have given to the um, the mother in this instance who was was seeking the uh, the, the cost of uh, child support
2: yeah they they gave her a lot of deference right, right. Um, uh, sh- like you said she testified that um, daughter was in pageants, son was in a variety of other activities um, and she didn't testify to the fact that these were ongoing expenses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think the um, I think the key was that father didn't dispute that they were not ongoing expenses, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the court found that, despite the fact that these expenses may not be ongoing and currently, you know, being taken on by mother, um, the fact that father's attorney didn't offer any evidence that. Um, they were not indeed ongoing, um, made the case turn and,
1: um. Well, one of the things I noticed, like the mother used as a, as an estimate of her value, there was two children over an 18 month period and some figure one hundred two hundred $200 a month. And they apportioned it, divided that by 12 and they apportioned it. And part of the factor was the child support or excuse me, the child custody, she worked, uh, he worked for an insurance company. I think she was some sort of hairstylist or, or an right. esthetician. And while they were working, during the summer particularly, because they're not in school, um, the child care cost, um, and it's logical, normally would be a little bit more expensive. If you have a child care cost that's from 7 a.m. to you know, uh, 5 p.m. off work hours, It's going to be more expensive than if you have child care uh, after a child returns from school um, or is transported from the school. And I think the dad had a beef saying, well, you were using as your calculator, your factor, the fee associated with that extended level of care. Court of Appeals took some some note of the fact. Well, while that may be true, uh, the court also took in consideration that one of the parents couldn't pay the weekly fee which may be a discount as opposed to a daily fee and a daily fee may be more expensive, but either way, as a court of appeals, the, the trial court, the district court judge heard the testimony and facts. It was prepared um, in a financial affidavit of sorts. And I think they also maybe did some direct and cross-examination at trial, how she got to that number. And based on that, the court said, this is what I find. And that's what we talk about as findings of fact. You read these opinions over and over and over and over again, Findings of fact, conclusions of law, findings of fact, conclusions of law. And those findings of fact, the court finds this is what happened. This is what I discern and this is what I decide. And based on that, in this case, it said there was substantial evidence of it. They were not going to reverse it. Uh, So there was an issue regarding the child support um, or custody. I keep saying support, but when I refer to support, I mean the maintenance of the child, the best interest of the child, schooling, education, welfare, food, shelter, you know, and, and things other than that and this was no small amount of money this was a substantial amount of money that they were uh, talking about if i remember it was close to $1000 a month for these extraordinary type of expenses mm-hmm. so in, in in a summary of both ordinary and extraordinary expenses the court is going to be given deference and and how would you summarize that meaning if you're if you're seeking these things what should you probably do if you're asking for them or trying to defend against them
2: well i mean you mentioned that affidavit right yeah Um, and that's a normal, normal thing. Most judicial, I think all judicial districts require that, um, a party file their financial standing affidavit that kind of shows these things, right. Mm -hmm. And how you arrived at these numbers. So I think it's important to, to be very careful when you're filling out your financial affidavit and when you're up on the stand in the courtroom, um, to give the court an explanation as to how you got to those numbers and why those numbers are valid.
1: Right. And as a, as a nice reminder, as we tell people, an affidavit is a sworn-to document. And it can be, you know, I affirm to tell the truth, or you can actually put your hand on a, a holy book of some sort um, and say, I swear to tell the truth. And a penalty for providing incorrect or inaccurate information that is sworn is subject to contempt of court. It's also not a defense to say, well, my attorney just, you know, prepared that for me. So one of the things as a practitioner to law students or younger practitioners is we we try to be very, very careful about is to um, ask questions, to try to get as exhaustive as much of information as possible to not just blindly trust, but to say, OK, if you say these are your expenses, let's get some receipts. In fact, this case referenced uh, certain types of receipts and the court of appeals actually said, well. <laughs> this is an interesting factoid in this case. The uh, the court and district court, because it reversed some area, used some receipts that were not formally in the record on appeal, and they sent it back to them and said, you used the wrong numbers, go back and recalculate. We, in fact, we see that very commonly in these, these appeals where they send it back for further findings. So get it, receipts is a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, get documentation of uh, you know any changes. Consider the fact that there are differences between um, school age children, non-school age children, for example, if it's a younger child's non-school age, the daycare cost may be more expensive for someone in diapers mm-hmm. versus, um, someone who's in sixth grade and gets off, you know, off school at what time CMS get out of school now you have, you have, uh,
2: well, my kids are in magnet school, so they don't okay. get out till four fifteen. but I think the typical school gets out around two thirty or three.
1: Right. Sorry. And then. Uh, This is a case where the kids played, apparently played some sort of sport and um, my daughter did. And she normally got home later than I did because after school she'd stay there and they'd have a practice or a game. And then um, one of us would either go pick her up or um, as they get older, she drove herself home. I
2: think it's really important to take really good records.
1: Right. Right. In fact... um, Uh, This is the holiday season, which is interesting. A lot of people don't file for divorce during this month. They want to wait or get through the holidays, but this is a good time to talk to a lawyer and to start saying, what am I going to need? And the first thing we say is, um, before doing anything, before saying I want a divorce or separating, if possible, without doing harm to yourself or to the ones you love, is to start really taking a, a serious look at what you may or may not be entitled to. Part of the reason we offer uh, confidential consultation is some people decide after they look at the numbers, I need to work this out, right? Yep. All right. So um, the next issue, let's talk a little about, and this is something I found really interesting, where from a logic standpoint, I get where the court was going. You know, uh-huh. you see the hand, you see the, uh, the. if you're doing calculus, you see the math behind the answer. But it had to do with an order saying, listen, you owe Holly, this person was allegedly owed over a, a six-figure number, 100000 100, dollars in back um, support issues. Right. And that uh, there was an issue regarding a payment of alimony over a... These children were young, so basically it seemed like uh, there was going to be an 18 or some odd year period of potential overall paying some level of child support. If right. there's more than one, you obviously go to the age of the child, to the age of majority. There are exceptions to that as well. Um, but... The court in this case did what? And what did the court of appeals say about that what, if you would?
2: And you're talking about um, the retroactive child support?
1: No, I'm talking about um, um, the insurance and, um, okay. and and ordering them to buy yeah. a life yep. insurance okay. policy, which Sorry, makes Sorry, I sense. didn't know
2: what, what what part of the um, yeah. order yeah. you were referring to. Um, um, yeah, so the court of appeals or excuse me, the district court required that the defendant um, obtain a life insurance policy in the amount of Mm -hmm. $550,000 to secure his child support and alimony obligations. Um, Defendant took issue with that and brought it up to the court of appeals. Um, The court of appeals uh, reversed that decision essentially and said um, that a district court is not authorized to order life insurance as security for child support or alimony obligations. Mm -hmm. Um, This reinforces prior case law where they've said this prior, but it's, it's um, an interesting thing to read um, from a practitioner standpoint um, because a lot of times life insurance obligations will come into play in negotiations in a whole um, global settlement. But in any event, Um, the court basically found that the award of that life insurance, um, was a windfall to the plaintiff because it essentially, they characterized it as extra alimony.
1: Right. And so what we're talking about here is that the district court judge said to the respondent father, the supporting uh, spouse, the husband, Wadsworth, in this case, Mr. Wadsworth, you owe a lot of money and you're going to owe a lot of money over a more than one decade time period. And so if something happens to you where you were to die, um, we want to make sure that this amount of money that you owe to your spouse in uh, alimony uh, is paid to her. And um, it, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Um, mm-hmm. And the court of appeal said, mm, hold on, uh, let's look at a the statute. There are times where you can Attach um, an interest in a security. We use the specific language, but please remember. And I'm—they didn't say please remember, but I'm <laughs> paraphrasing here. The Court of Appeals said, "What happens when someone dies to alimony? That interest, that financial interest, um, extinguishes. Correct. It also took some level to say it was a windfall because the new the number um, and the longer that person paid." Uh, the alimony and got the number down because uh, it was it was backlog. The amount that that they it didn't it didn't have a set off on the, on an equal level of um, life insurance. So you what you'd almost need to do is have a life insurance policy that had an award lower amount every month. So Mr. Wadsworth in this case was ordered to by the court district court judge to pay a for insurance premium a life insurance premium on his own life and made his his ex-spouse, uh, the mother of some or one of his children i on they had one or two. There were multiple children involved here from a pre-array. Yeah, there's here. like seven. Right. <laughs> um, she's going to be the beneficiary. So it's basically like I, you know, I'm, I'm going to have insurance policy on myself. And if I pass away, Caroline, you get it. Right. OK. And a court appeal said blew a whistle on that, threw a flag, whatever, and said, nope, you're, you're not going to do that. You cannot do that. Um, it would be a windfall. It would be um, an additional level of alimony that she would not be entitled to. If he died, she actually gets nothing, which is from a policy standpoint, a little bit disturbing because then she was deemed the dependent spouse. And um, if if that ex-spouse dies, what is she going to do? Now, there was also some additional consideration regarding the other ways that you can extinguish alimony, which would be um, a cohabitation situation, a remarriage and, and things of that nature. So I thought that was really interesting where I was like, I see I get why the court or the district court judge was doing that. And when I started reading, I said, I wonder which way the court appeals is going to come down on this one. And they took some time to define securities in the statute and said, Uh -uh. so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's no. All right. And then um, the last one, and boy, this one's just chock full of issues, which is pretty standard fare for a criminal or a family law case is, um, the attorney's fees associated with equal distribution. Now, people oftentimes confuse and or conflate child custody support issues, alimony, post separation support, we used to call it temporary alimony, and equal distribution. So um, they're all related to the relationship, but they're all technically separate. And equal distribution is what we were talking about before
2: it's the distribution of the marital property, the marital estate.
1: Mm-hmm. And so that can include houses, vacation homes,
2: Retirement accounts. Right,
1: right. And um, in that instance, uh, they looked at the affidavits of the attorneys uh, for the billing statements. And yes, um, if you're asking for attorney's fees, how much you paid your attorney and for how much or for what hourly rate and things like that are turned into the court. So for young practitioners or new lawyers, yes, your bills are not necessarily sacrosanct. Um,
2: so be very careful in right, your billing. <laughs> right, will be, first of all, be careful, accurate. Accurate, accurate. That's what accurate. I meant. Yeah,
1: accurate. And secondary to that, you, um, sometimes billing statements can inadvertently have additional superfluous information to help you remember why you were billing for this particular thing, and you would not want to necessarily include to that level of detail anything that might be confidential in uh, the conversations with the client. So, um, and some of the programs nowadays, Clio, Time Manners has one. They have rooms for notes, and while it might be mighty handy dandy you know, from the attorney's perspective, realize that those notes may be subject to some level of scrutiny and inquiry by, it, as far as why you build, what you build. But the general rule of garn equitable distribution attorney's fees is they're not available, right? Meaning, um, the court looked at this 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 case and and parsed through the bill and said, well, the time associated with trying to get you know recapture your alimony or your child support is something you can seek as a dependent spouse. Uh, reimbursement for, right? Right. But for you, you know, getting half of your marital estate, or and I use half, that's not really... It's, the equitable and, portion. The equitable portion. Equal doesn't always... We um, you know, Judge Charlotte says equal is not always equal. But um, that's not recapturable, which from a policy standpoint, I don't know if I fully understand that. If um, um, uh, For someone who uh, is entitled to a substantial portion of marital estate and the other side is fighting on it or not wanting to give it over... That's the policy in North Carolina. So, like in alimony, if the person other side passes away, you, even though you're technically entitled to it, haven't been remarried or cohabitate, you're, that that extinguishes your interest. And similarly, on equal distribution, you um, you don't get to recoup your attorney's fees in, uh, in getting that. So, right. anything else in this opinion you can think of? Um, it it is it's a twenty pager. Uh, came out uh, just this morning. Uh, so we
2: digested those 20 pages. Right, pretty quickly. So uh,
1: uh, we reserved a right to um, change our mind or put in an asterisk or a caveat on any of these things and, again, remind people, uh, particularly people who are dealing with these things, to, uh, um, you know, read these things big picture. Um, so, uh, Caroline, let's, let's kind of get, you're, you're good at the bullet points. Let's get, let's hit the five bullets. I'll start with the first one is, is that, uh, the, the courts don't really choose winners and losers based on you being a nicer or, or not nice person. So that's one. What was, what are some of the other issues we talked about?
2: Um, the district court is considered by the court of appeals, the best, in the best position to gauge, um, what goes on in a courtroom.
1: Right. So, um, We we, First point is winners and losers. Part two is standard of appeal, meaning giving deference to the court. The third would have to do with um, um, read your child support. um, uh, Affidavit. Right.
2: And and I would make it a discussion amongst, you know, the client and the attorney, Um, meaning, you know, it's a working document between the two of you. So both of you are fully informed on what's going into the calculations and how you got there. And you know, writing on that is the importance of keeping meticulous records if you're going to include them in that affidavit.
1: Right. Uh, we did this on a, a top five bullet point. Uh, Employ experts as may be necessary. And the more complex your state is, your marital state, your individual state, you may have to retain um, experts, being forensic accountants or bookkeepers or things that keep these different things um, for you. Um, uh, so fourth point has to do with what insurance. Let's let's come up with a nice pithy um, 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 insurance not required.
2: <laughs> right. Uh,
1: Bill, point number five.
2: Insur- insurance not allowed? <laughs> yeah,
1: insurance, yeah. And then I guess um, the sixth and, and always one is um, I'm going to throw a little pitch in here for collaborative law. This is one of those reasons why you and I, and I don't want to speak too much for you, but why we're fans of collaborative law. We've got multiple children involved. There's a lot of emotion going on in this case. There's, there are allegations of marital unfaithfulness, videotape, and it's kind of embarrassing, salacious type of facts. Um, but these are the type of deals that when you're trying to go through hard numbers, I think it, it makes it monumentally more difficult to be arguing about things in open court that could be settled up between...
2: The parties right, outside of court.
1: Right, right. So collaborative law is doesn't mean there's not disagreements or hard feelings. It means that um, you really Commit to sharing the information, being truthful about the information, having open records, and um, and um, working through some of these different types of numbers.
2: Right, right, and I think it's important too to note that um, through the collaborative law process, you can employ experts in these areas, right, right, um, where a judge might not necessarily be a CPA,
1: right. So, right, and this this is an interesting case because we're only seeing one portion of it. I kind of wonder what. Other additional considerations were given for child support mm-hmm. from the extramarital affair I think there were two children maybe a third child born from the extramarital affair and they're entitled to child support as well and those that math can start getting real complicated because uh, the courts gonna uh, require you to take care of your progeny so uh, once again uh, Caroline thank you for uh, joining me this morning uh, going over Wadsworth versus Wadsworth If you have additional questions uh, legal issues, policy issues, um, shoot us an email, uh, law talk, uh, with Bill Powers at gmail.com. And um, if you have a complicated family law case, which, Caroline, do you think there are any simple family law cases? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't either. I, I always say there's no such thing as a simple family law case. Consult with an attorney uh, in your jurisdiction. And uh, uh, thank you. And um, um,
0: well, if you have suggestions regarding other cases to review, give us a ring. You've been listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for legal issues and legislation, practice tips, professionalism, and policy discussions. Want to talk to Bill Powers? Call 704-342-HELP. That's 704-342-4357. Law Talk with Bill Powers is an educational resource only. The information presented does not constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Every situation is unique. Therefore, you should always consult with a licensed attorney before making any legal decision.